In early September, the department store Selfridges announced that it wants half of its transactions to be resale, rental or refills by 2030 in response to customer demand for more sustainable shopping. That's a positive step to be sure, but some in the east of England want to go higher, further, faster. Meet Greener, the platform that aims to make shopping sustainably so much easier. Greener offers a one-stop shop for planet-friendly products and aims to take the stress out of shopping in an eco-conscious way by eliminating the jargon and taking the paint pots away from would-be greenwashers. I asked co-founder and CEO of Greener, Thomas Panton, to tell me more. Yeah, greener.co.uk is a marketplace for sustainable products made by companies that care. We are bringing you know, more transparency, accessibility and affordability to that market than ever before, because as you'll be well aware, um, shopping sustainably has not always been easy and it still is confusing and murky waters. So our whole mission is to make that you know, more accessible to more people ultimately. And I, and I think if one thing we've found you know, over the last year and a half of sort of putting the research into this is that consumers are really asking for it, right? So ethical consumerism has grown a thousand percent in the last 20 years compared to household spending just increasing by 2%. So you can absolutely see there's a demand for it, but yet there's still confusion how to do it. And, and that's where we come in. And that's what we're bringing to consumers um, at the end of this summer. You've certainly coming this at a, at a really uh, good time, because as you say, there is a lot of interest We've seen a lot of of moves towards this over the years. So there's a lot of interest in actually making a real difference. I mean, we are sitting having this interview in, in one of, if not the hottest day of the year, certainly top five. So there's going to be a renewed interest in climate change, I think. Uh, there are fewer and fewer people who are just thinking of it as a nice sunny day and more like, hmm... Is this yeah. what's you know going to be the shape of things to come? So you, yeah. you're picking a fantastic moment, I think, to go on on the market. Um, tell us more about that the journey to the idea, and and because you you're spin out from the University of East Anglia. So what, yeah, yeah. what's that experience like as well? Yeah, I mean, it's been a really, I think, a long one to get here. Really, um, so all three of us co-founders um, come from UEA. Um, we did our undergrads, so I'm doing a master's there. But it wasn't through UEA that we sort of started Greener originally. Um, so really, my background was I did my undergrad and worked for Greenpeace, the environmental organization, for just over four years. Um, I worked predominantly engaging thousands of people into the climate movement, you know, regardless of whether they were, you know, eco-warriors um, <laughs> or, whether they, or whether they were, you know, just the average person who, you know, understands that there's a problem but doesn't necessarily want to have to change their whole lives to you know tackle that issue um and greenpeace are really good at that because it's just pressure group which you can support and they do that heavy lifting and that really resonates with people during my time with greenpeace i worked a lot of events um, predominantly festivals over the summer and i mean as we've all seen across various sort of papers and, and articles there's a really huge amount of waste that is left at festivals and, yeah. and it's a real problem that they're trying to tackle one of those being tents um so in the uk alone about two hundred and fifty thousand tents end up in landfill every single year um and actually only about two percent of tents are collected 
at the end of festivals and most people think that they are collected by charities but that just doesn't happen only about one or two percent does every year so my i actually left greenpeace to set up my first company which was specifically contracted to collect those tents uh, and repurpose recycle um, or reuse them ultimately wow. yeah. um which was fantastic I, and I, I actually didn't utilize the uea enterprise system as much as i definitely should have at that time um and you know despite being at the university still and and being integrated in there but i did learn a lot um so you know being a solo founder then um and having to navigate the <laughs> treacherous startup sea um you know i had to i had to sort of learn quite quickly how to manage things and we managed a team of 30 people at its biggest um and was really successful um but then um something called the COVID pandemic came and there were there were no festivals and no events, uh, which which sort of put us in, you know, put me in a sticky position as a founder, but also my team. And I think we had to make a really difficult decision that we couldn't wait because we didn't know quite how long this was going to yeah. last. Um, but we, we, what we could do was learn from what we'd done and learn from what we, who we talked to. And, you know, we'd spoke, spoken to hundreds of businesses um, who were making better products, who were ethical in their, in their nature, in their foundations. We'd spoken again to thousands of people who were begging for these better products, but really didn't know where to find them outside of that scenario. So, you know, the instant thought for me was, well, why don't we give them that access? We've already made those connections with businesses. We've got lots of consumers we know wanting it. Let's pa pair them together. So, Straight out of that, really, um, is when we got involved with UEA um, to initially start speaking to them. I brought on my co-founder, Hugo, um, who was at UEA with me, but is also a friend and a, and a band member. And we've done lots of <laughs> stuff together. Um, that's another story for another time. But, um, you know, and, and, and very quickly, we, we realized there was a gap in the market. Um, we realized that UEA could help fund through grants and through mentorship. Um, and that was really, really beneficial going into a new sector. Um, and even though we had lots of experience, which was transferable, um, we definitely needed that mentorship going through that early stage R&D phase. Um, and then we brought on our third co-founder and yeah, subsequently have um, been awarded two of the grants from UEA and they're investing into our current investment round, which is open at the moment. So, you know, they've been fantastic. Um, but, but I think, you know, as with any of these sort of mentorship areas that you can go and get advice, um, you sort of take what you need and, and you know, you balance that because not yeah. everything's going to be relevant to you. Right. Um, and, that, and that's where we are now. So with their support, with their, you know, with various funding and awards, um, we're, we're now, yeah, bringing them, bring it to bring it to life. <laughs> so that, that, that's really interesting. How do you tell? Uh, I suppose it's a lot of it has to do with your previous experience. Uh, pre-pandemic mm. but how do you tell which parts of the offer from the uea enterprise services are going to be relevant or is it just experience i think that's a really good question um i don't think you know until you go and speak with them firstly like we like i said with the original company i didn't use them at all when i should have um and that meant that my first experiences with them were uh, sort of going into it unknown sort of unknown not really knowing what they were going to offer and, and i think you know look they're, they're a really great place to get that early stage startup advice um access to early stage funding if you've got a really good idea and you can back that up with research and you have to put the work in as an individual um they're not just gonna you know give you handouts um, but they will mentor you to get there um and, and i think how you choose what is relevant and this is just 
just, you know, across all advice, right? It's not just from UEA. This could be from an investor, an advisor, a fellow founder, um, you know, you and me having a mm -hmm. chat. Like everyone knows something you don't, um, but ultimately it's your your baby, right? Your business, yeah. your idea. You're the one who's been working on that for however many years. And you can gauge quite quickly what is relevant and what, you know, is helpful, but not really relevant to you. You, you also will make mistakes. Like we've taken advice and then not from UEA actually, but from other places and, and then been like, ah, probably shouldn't have done that. Um, but it's fine. Like, so long as it's not a major thing, you can keep chugging along. And I think that's just being a startup, right? You, even if you are super, super experienced in your sector, um, which we are with climate and sustainability and, and consumerism, um, you still are going to find slightly rocky roads at certain points, but that's when those places where you can go and get advice could be really helpful and UEAR, yeah, have been one of those. In terms of, you said your your, your investment round uh, is currently open and we had Gary Douglas Beat of Innovate UK uh, Edge on a co-production I did with the um, Cambridge Norwich Tech Corridor and he was an absolute fountain of knowledge about how to seek investment, where to go for investment and I just wanted to get a sense from you of how you're finding this experience of kind of putting yourself out there and 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 showing your your you know your wares as it were um yeah. of of greener.co.uk and what you can offer how has that been and and what is what is it like to keep up your morale I think that's a really good question um I, difficult to answer I think um there's a couple of things I'd mention here you know we none of my co-founders and I come from a net, a family net of money, right? And that that's quite rare for founders a lot of the, a lot of the time. Yeah, obviously, you hear those stories of founders who came from nothing and built themselves up, and um, but but often there is that support. And you know, Jeff Bezos is a great example. He got two hundred and fifty thousand dollars from his parents as a sort of loan to get started. Um, <laughs> wouldn't that be the the dream if my oh, parents yeah. could give me that sort of money to get me started? You know, it just doesn't happen to a lot of us. Um, so. For us, it was really about working out what is relevant to us. Uh, firstly, there's lots of avenues, right? You could put your own money in if you've got savings. Um, you could get grants, um, like Innovate Grants, for example. Um, you could go to your university um, and, and ask if they can offer any funding or avenues to funding. Or you can raise investment, um, or you can go down debt financing, right? So loans and stuff. Now, we've say, sort of taken a mix of those, and I think our experience is that equity fundraising isn't for everyone. It really depends on what type of business you're building. You know, we're building a platform which we envision being the future of shopping, right? You know, we're not building the Amazon of today. We're building the Amazon of tomorrow. Yeah. We're giving consumers access to live and shop sustainably en masse with less impact um, over time. And that market's growing. So for us, it makes absolute sense to fund, you know, fundraise um, and get the added value at, you know, the value add of investors and, and advisors and, and, you know, institutions. Also with grants, the difficulty is that often they're very niche. So we've had to balance this quite a lot. So we're a marketplace, but we bring in innovative tech into yeah. the back end of this. You know, we're the first multi-vendor marketplace in the UK. 
to have an impact calculator built in, which we've built, which tells you how much carbon emissions, water and plastic you save when you buy these products compared to their mainstream alternatives. Now, that's quite new and that's quite techy and innovative, but because we're a marketplace, we're not always eligible for grants because it's consumer shopping. That's ultimately what the top level is. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's a really hard balance, right? And you've got to make sure that if you are pitching for grants, that you do fit into their thesis. Otherwise, it's just absolutely no point. In terms of morale, um, I think ultimately, look, I, I predominantly lead the investment reach out. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One, I'm, I'm good at talking. I probably like my voice a bit too much. <laughs> um, but but secondly, um, I've done this for other organizations, right? So with Greenpeace, I started as a fundraiser. Yeah. I started with having door after door shut in my face, even though we knew we were doing a brilliant, fantastic thing, which would help ultimately save the planet. And these people, you know, people didn't really need to support by much to get on board with that movement. Mm. And that's quite hard, right? To, 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 take that and and try and navigate your morale through that but what it does do is give you a pretty thick skin so that when you are doing that in other scenarios you you know you aren't beaten down that's not to say it's not hard um Mm. you know this is our baby we you know we've come up with it we built it we put the time the sweat the tears the sleepless nights in and when an investor turns around and goes i just don't think you're good enough that's a really hard hit the hard thing to hear right but equally there are other people who really believe in us. And when that happens, it doesn't matter how many no's you've had, that one yes, whether it's a thousand pounds, whether it's a hundred thousand pounds, it's really validating and really fulfilling and can just completely wipe out that lack of morale if you are feeling that. So so I think, you know, you have to be thick skinned. You have to know that it's right for you. Um, but you also have to be aware that it might feel rocky, but it's a it's an upward trajectory a lot of the time, right? It's yeah. a hard mountain to climb, but it's still going up, and that's really exciting. That's a very good way of looking at it, hard mountain, but it's 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 all in the ascent, as it were. Um, so talk me through the experience of somebody coming to the greener.co.uk platform. What is their experience going to be like? Yeah, no, really important as well, because we're not building the traditional marketplaces, the marketplace that has sort of been out there already. We're going a bit deeper and further into engagement and learning and, and social aspects as well. So at the very top level, if you came to the greener.co.uk homepage, it's, it's a shopping site. You can search, you know, see the different departments and you can go through and click on products. But everything behind that, is there that if you want to read more about the transparency, about the the way we vet, about us as a business, about the brands, about the different labels they have, all of that work, that heavy lifting has been done. So ultimately, you can spend as much or as little time on that platform as you want, but you will find what you're looking for to make you feel comfortable that this is a product which is better for the planet, people, and your pocket, ultimately, as well. So really, that, that splits into three different areas. You've sort of got the direct shopping platform, um, and then you've got the learn side of that platform. So that goes through everything from, you know, how we vet um, the difference in labels and why those labels are better. Why is a vegan product better than a non-vegan product, for example? And a lot of people don't really know that. They just hear it a lot. Well, we can give you sort of the the, the backing, the the really digestible information if if you want it. And then I think the third thing is, you know, we're very aware that with consumerism, often you just want a quick purchase, right? So for us, we've built in that capability to do that. But also when you get to checkout and when you go your basket, 
you are still able to see that impact data that I talked about earlier with carbon emissions, water and plastic. So when you get there, you can engage with that, you know, and, and later down the line, we'll sort of gamify that a little bit as well. Like, you know, you can use that data to play games, earn points, spend those points. And that really encourages that positive reinforcement yeah. on what you're buying, but also keeps people there. And, and that's really important because, you know, there are some great sustainable marketplaces out there where have laid the foundation for sustainable shopping. But one thing that is really missing is that engagement with a wider audience. And often that comes down to accessibility, transparency, and a good brand. And yeah. I think what we've really focused on is that when we go live, we've put the work in so that when you go on the platform, yes, you can just shop, but also there's so much more that you're getting out of our business than that, just that. And that's really important. Are you looking at just individual consumers and families at this point, or are you looking as well at or will be looking as well at bulk purchases like businesses in the public sector? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So um, to begin with, it's just the individual consumer, although there's no reason why you couldn't bulk purchase, but it probably wouldn't be the most cost effective way <laughs> of buying those products on bulk. Um, but there are absolute plans to build into a, a, a sort of B2B wholesale platform um, in the back end of that. It's not something we're launching with, um, but it's always been in the roadmap. And the reason for that, and I mean, as you probably know from from asking this question is that individuals can make changes we can change how we shop but i'm a massive believer that it shouldn't just be down to the individual to save the planet i think that businesses and governments are the ones that need to change the most and ultimately if we can provide a place for them to make better purchase decisions as well then ultimately we're tackling a much bigger problem mm. as well which isn't just individual consumerism it's you know it's whole sectors, you know, and, and that's really exciting. Um, and look, we've built the foundations to do that, right? All the tech's there, the tech stack's behind it. All we'd need to do is make sure that we've got enough vendors who sell wholesale to sort of be able to accommodate those sorts of orders. There's a perception, and I honestly don't have any data to tell you whether this is fair or not, but I think there is definitely a perception that at this precise moment in time, where we are in uh, July of 2022, that um, uh, most people are focused on uh, not to engage in hyperbole, but survival in, yep. in terms of, you know, e eking out what they can afford and uh, putting s sustainability on a lower uh, rung yep. of the priority ladder. Now, I'm not 100% sure that that's necessarily true in and certainly in all cases. It may be some for some at the very sort of extreme end of the of, of, of of uh, the socioeconomic scale. But what's your view about how we can stop that uh, that narrative that, oh, we don't have time for this green stuff. You know, we don't have time, we don't have money. People aren't worried about that right now. Because, you know, as, as, as I'm sure you'll agree, and I, I know a lot of people listening to this program will agree, uh, that, that the planet really doesn't give a hoot about what socioeconomic you know, yeah. one of its yeah. most meddlesome creations is getting up to. Uh, yeah, no, it's a really, really important question um, and a pretty big question as well. So I'll try and keep this succinct. <laughs> um, but look, you know, we are we are going for an economic downturn. Um, there's no denying it, um, whether that is because of bad decisions from sort of banks and leadership or whether it's to do with sort of political crises, you know, in Europe and, and beyond. Um, ultimately, it is happening. Um, and that means, you know, particularly with energy and, and how much we have to spend there, there are things which get sacrificed. Now, 
again, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but sustainability always stays pretty high on, on consumers sort of um, awareness scope, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, but you're absolutely right. It does drop down when something like this happens, um, but, but not much lower. Right. That's it's still good, up yeah. there because we still understand that this is a problem. Um, the weather tells us this. Right. Mm, yeah. like we're not. You know, we might be like, oh, great, sunny weather, I can get a tan. But also, we all sort of know deep down this is a real problem, right? The UK shouldn't be this hot at this time consistently. Yeah. And we shouldn't have heat waves, you know, more and more frequently. Like, it's just completely unnatural for us. Yeah. Um, so we're all aware of that. And I think that there's no avoiding those hard truths. However, again, that doesn't stop the fact that our wallets are lighter at the moment. So there's a couple of things here which are really important to note. One is we've really focused on trying to bring an affordability aspect to what we're providing. Traditionally, sustainable shopping has been in sort of two sectors. One is they are good products, uh, but they're quite expensive, luxury price point, or they're affordable and, and relatively cheap, but they're not very good products and they break very quickly. And, and you know, they're they're sort of from a certain stereotype, which, yeah. which you know may or may not be true. Now that has drastically changed over the last decade, particularly over the last few years, um, where now we're seeing sort of supermarket brands being sustainable products. So mm. you know, Wild Cosmetics, one of the brands that we've signed up, they're a little bit more expensive than your average deodorant. However, they're a refillable; they last longer. They care about people, planet, and your pockets. So over the long run, you're saving money. You're also saving the planet. And you're caring about people that are making that product. So there are various different incentives there yeah. for you to spend a little bit more up front, but actually save over the longer run. And that's often the same now with refillables and reusables is that, yes, it might be more expensive from purchase one. And I know that doesn't help for people at the lower end of the sort of bracket. Um, but these things, again, are still improving. The prices are coming down. Um but ultimately, it's that initial purchase. And then actually, it's much more affordable going forward than, than just buying the same toothbrush over and a plastic toothbrush over and over again, or whatever it might be. For us, you know, I think what's really important is that we're transparent about it. Um, there's a big aspect of positive reinforcement in what you're, bu in what you're buying. Mm -hmm. We're not telling you to buy things that you don't necessarily need. Um, we are big advocates for circular economy. So if you don't need to buy it new, don't buy it new, um, which can often make it cheaper. But some things you have to buy new, cleaning products, cosmetics, uh, body wash, you know, these things you can't buy secondhand. Um, I'd like to see anyone try. <laughs> um, and, you know, in that circumstance, we can make positive decisions, sustainable decisions, which actually don't affect our price, you know, our wallets as much as we may think they used to. Um, and there are some fantastic cleaning products on our platform, which are the same price as their mainstream counterparts, mm. and they're refillable. So actually you're saving a hell of a lot of money um, by buying those products over time. Um, it's still a decision. You know, We're not saying it's easy. Um, there is a certain amount of education that comes with that, but we have done as much of that heavy lifting as we possibly can yeah. to just make it as accessible and affordable to individuals. I think some things will you know, the, the, the whole economy is going to take a hit, but economies recover. Um, and as you say, the climate doesn't wait. So, you know, we can't, we, we, we can slow down as individuals, maybe our purchase power, but ultimately, as you say, when it comes to sort of governments and, and businesses, we absolutely still need to be 
making big changes as we go forward. We can't be swayed by what's happening here, um, particularly as businesses, I think. Uh, and that's really, you know, something that will become clear through purpose-driven businesses, which are becoming more and more common. Yeah. Are you going to have such a thing as a rating star systems on your products or are you leaving that for others? No. Um, so we're not trying to actively, um, you know, promote a product more than it's counterparts in the same sector mm. we vet products so that whatever you buy on our platform you know you're buying better uh, we have a phrase which is better not best and the reason of that is everything has an impact so if you're on our platform and one product has the most glorified environmental credentials but it's actually a bit out of your price range but still on our website you find one which is still a better product but it's just a bit more affordable buy that one yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. you know, we're not trying to tell you to buy the absolute most luxury price pointed product on our platform because it's the best environmentally. We're just trying to say, look, we can all be a little bit better in what we purchase. And if that's affordable to you, then then that's still great. Um, there's a reason we rigorously vet brands and their products because we want you to have that choice, you know, no matter what your bank account balance says, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Now, I've got to tip my hat at this point to the Anthropocene uh, website. Uh, I read an article that talks about the business and entrepreneurship researchers are increasingly interested in moral markets, where businesses offer market-based solutions to social environmental problems. Now, to keep this kind of canter through what the website says as brief as possible, the upshot is that they were looking at how green and eco-startups fare in cultures that are predominantly strongly market facing strongly environmental positive and i'm thinking about sort of places in germany for example some of the german german states and they found that it's where those two cultures meet so you have both things together again the example they give is the western us california that eco businesses do do the best they can there's less you know the the, the competition is on very much on a level playing field but they're not sort of getting blitzed out of the water by you know um, by sort of competition from from other areas. What's your view of the of a moral market, and where would you, I suppose, place uh, both the UK and the East of England on that score? It's a really interesting question, um, and I think that it comes down to that you know what I was saying earlier of accessibility with sustainability. Um, you, you can't really have one without the other. You know, my co-founder Hugo did some really great customer segmentation, uh, like breaking down different sort of customer groups or individuals across the UK um, and their purchase power to their intent uh, versus, you know, what they focus on. And what's really interesting is that the really hardcore eco-warriors are often very loud about needing to shop sustainably and, and change our habits, but often can't necessarily afford to do those more expensive price points. Um, and then the people with sort of middle intent, um, but maybe more capital are actually the ones spending the most money in the sector. Mm. I think that you have to balance that um, and you have to balance what the market demands and what you know the planet needs. Um, I think that the East of England does does pretty well on it. I mean, we did break down by city sort of intent to shop sustainably. Um, and, you know, you've got the, the the sort of ones which you'd expect to come up, like Bristol, Brighton, um, and, and that sort of fluctuates across the UK. But overall, the UK is doing surprisingly well. 
compared mm. to other places. I mean, the ethical consumer market um, is worth £121 billion pounds in the UK. Uh, that's more than Europe. Like, yeah. uh, not not in total, but through, you know, um, through ratio, uh, yeah. we're actually much higher than a lot of other places. So as individuals, we're, our market and our focus on sustainability are becoming more aligned. They mm -hmm. are becoming mm -hmm. crossover, which means that the UK is a really great place for sustainable businesses to boom. And also just in other sectors as well, like tech investment. Um, I was at a Google Startups and Tech Nation event um, a month or so ago, and it was looking at a decade of UK tech. And actually, obviously, Silicon Valley and the Bay Area, you know, dominate sort of investment into tech. But actually, the UK has been doing surprisingly well across the yeah. rest of the world. And, and that's really exciting, um, particularly for innovative small businesses. Now, tie that with our incentive to shop morally. Um, that That's a massive market for us to lead the way um, to, to sort of ethical business or um, these moral markets, um, as you may call them. And I, and I think that particularly in the east of England, you, look, we've got two universities here, one of which is world leading in its climate research. Um, there's a lot of incentive and evidence for the region to sort of lead that way as well. I do think there's a disconnect um, between the city, the universities and the rest of Norfolk and east of England. And I think that needs to be reconnected personally i think yeah. i think that there are some fantastic things happening outside of the city um there are some great companies um sop is a is an ethical business based in norfolk you know they're not in the city directly and i think that if we just reach out a little bit wider as a as a market um we can actually engage more people than you previously would have expected to in the area um, i think the east of england has a lot of promise there um and, and i really um, sort of hopeful that local governments and, and local businesses can lead that way a little bit. Obviously, there are restrictions when it comes down to what you get from central. <laughs> um, but, you know, without a conversation again for a different time, perhaps. But, um, but yeah, so, so I think that there is a crossover. I think the UK is doing well compared to the sort of rest of Europe. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from government. I think that is predominantly led by innovative startups um and and people you know people are demanding it and people are 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 starting it one of the things i actually absolutely love uh, about the east of england um and i'm not saying this is uh, a unique thing but it's something <laughs> that uh, occurs to me gr uh, very much certainly doing this podcast is the extent to which people in the east of england businesses in the east of england uh institutions don't wait for permission um, and particularly, I'm thinking, you know, you, people like yourselves and the academic and the private sectors, they really crack on to see what they can do without yeah. necessarily having to go and knock on the doors of number number 11 Downing Street um, <laughs> or the Department for Leveling Up or whoever it may be. Um, and, and I think that's that, that's to be greatly admired. And I think in many ways that is a bigger draw for investment than the you know what I like to very dismissively call the the Oliver Twist approach, which I worry is 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 a bit easy for any place any 
organisation to fall back on, to think, well, you know, the, this is our due and we shall go down to London and hold out our caps and ask for more, which they mm-hmm. which they hear, like, you know, how many thousand times a, a month, you know, how many hundreds yeah. of times a week, that, you know, bang, 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 we, we need more money. And they just roll their eyes yeah. and carry on. Uh, whereas if, you know, my part of my reason for doing this is, is if we can, a big reason for my doing this is if we create the narrative of success as you're doing very much we create the narrative of positive engagement success it will drive that forward rather than arms folded these are all the things we don't have and we want well that's lovely yeah. you know um one thing yeah, well, I mean, look some of some of the biggest brands have come out of norfolk um you know coleman's barclays started here you know that whether these brands are ethical brands doesn't really matter the fact is is they have gone on to become world leading and well known and i think that when i first came to university in norfolk um in 2014 um i was shocked at how hard it was to get here um you know it one single road all the way from oxfordshire to to norfolk pretty much um the trains had been stopped there was no longer a train line um from oxford to cambridge and then getting to Cambridge to Norwich was difficult on road. Um, Even to London, the trains were often cancelled. The buses were, there were alternative bus routes. And yet over the last decade, that has drastically changed to the point where we have so much more accessibility, possibly aided by the fact that remote and hybrid working has Mm. sort of grown and people have flocked away from big hubs like London and come to places like Norwich and Norfolk um, to to restart and rebuild in different areas. And that's really promising. I, I, and again, you know, when I went to this Google event, you know, what was the little city that was mentioned at the end of a list of fantastically big cities in the UK? Norwich. Norwich yeah. was mentioned. And I was Damn like, right. this is fantastic. Yeah. You know, East of England is is leading the way. We're quiet, but we can definitely be louder. And we can and this is why we're here, right? You know, we could have chosen to go to London and set up and have access to all the big institutions in London and be able to knock on the investment banker door or whatever. But look, Norfolk is a place where we honestly believe can lead the way with um with, with the future of shopping particularly, but also just generally with industry. Um and, and we'd love to stay here and keep that sort of growth happening and bring another great brand out of the region um and more attention to the region as well yeah so you you start you're slightly covering off my next question which is <laughs> so what does the future hold for greener where's where's your what do you have you got sort of early plans for expansion or is it very much let's get through this this period of investment um no we we have pretty ambitious plans. <laughs> good good i'm glad to hear it um yeah look, I, I think we're sensible. We know what we can achieve in the time and the capital that we've got um, and that we're raising. Um, and this raise right now um, for our launch allows us to you know, really focus on the UK um, for brands that are distributing in the UK to UK consumers. We're based in Norfolk. We'll be employing people in the region and and really you know, nail that down. When we raise again and go to growth, we have huge plans for this. So there's not only plans to expand to Europe um, and bring in sort of the same model in their most sustainable countries. So the Nordics, Germany was mentioned, Portugal and Spain as well. Mm. Um, and then further expand from there, but but also bring in other features as well, right? Like one of the big things which people 
are so used to and personally i think again shouldn't have to sacrifice is getting their products that they've bought quite quickly and amazon have done a smashing job at this but they've had a really damaging impact on the planet by doing mm. this um <clears throat> plus the fact that they you know just destroy hundreds of thousands of products every week when they're returned but anyway <laughs> um but what we'd really like to do is bring in zero emission same day or next day delivery um over you know within 18 months and and the reason for this is we can do it in a really smart and efficient way by having miniature urban distribution centers partnering with people like zedify for example um and then getting products to people in the time frame that they want but still focused on having less of an impact mm. still focused on buying sustainably and still focused on the future of shopping rather than the past um and and i think that we are positioning ourselves to do that very well um and it really is our our hunger and ambition that will drive that growth um but like i said we're raising now so that we can do the first 12 months and and get started and build a foundation of customers Unless that happens, all of this is just waffle. <laughs> it certainly is not. I'm sh I've every, every confidence because it's a, a fantastic plan. It's a beautiful brand. Uh, I wish you every success. Thomas, thank, thank you, you very much for being on Eastern Promise today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much. My thanks to the abundant Thomas Panton for speaking to me. To find out more about Greener and their current crowdfunding phase, visit greener.co.uk forward slash crowdfund.